You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Morning. Great to see all of you here. Wonderful music this morning. And uh, I'm just thankful I get to hear it again in the next service. So some of you maybe should come back, worship again another time. Hey, as we begin, I want to just pray. Uh, so many things going on in our country and you probably saw the news of upstate New York and people killed there yesterday. So I want us to go to the Lord and pray for them. And uh, if that happened here, I certainly hope someone would pray for us. And so we want to be the people that pray for them. So let's go to the Lord. Father, we are so thankful that we can call you our Abba Father. And you know everything about us. You know everything happening in the world around us. And I do pray for those in upstate New York who are dealing with loss this morning. They're dealing with the loss of maybe a parent or a sibling or a child. And I pray for your just overwhelming peace that would encourage them and comfort them. And I pray through this, Father, that the gospel would be shared, that people would turn to you. They would, they would not turn to hate or violence, or, but they would turn to Jesus Christ and they would find forgiveness and hope and healing and a relationship with you. And so, Lord, be glorified in this situation. We don't understand these things, but we lift them to you because we know that you can change things and you can intervene. And so we pray for them. And we pray that you would, for us as well, Lord, you would open our hearts that we may see wonderful things from your law this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In the late 1980s, there was a television show that aired called The Wonder Years. You may remember that, and it well, it got off to a great start. In fact, I mean, after six episodes, it won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy. The star of the show was a boy named Kevin Arnold, played by Fred Savage. Kevin was a teenager growing up in a suburban middle-class family in the late 1960s and early 1970s. The show really detailed his life in the home, in the neighborhood, and at school. He was uh, accompanied by an older brother named Wayne and and they had a typical brother relationship and a sister named Karen, a best friend named Paul. Parents were in the home. It was a very stable home environment. Uh, but the, really, the storyline of the show was his love for a little girl named Winnie Cooper. And she was a brown-haired, brown-eyed girl, lived in the neighborhood. They went to school together, and they were on again, off again throughout the show. But he sure had a big crush on her. And uh, Winnie was played by a girl named Danica McKellar. Danica grew up in California. She was a child star and did very well at acting and, and uh, did very well in the show. But her struggle really came after the show was over. She was still a teenager and wondering kind of, what, what do I do with my life? Who am I? I mean, people know me as Winnie Cooper, but I'm Danica McKellar. And what does that mean? Where's my value in life? Where's my joy? And so she went to UCLA and she majored in film and she got there hoping like this is going to be a brand new start for me. And she got on campus and people would see her and say, hey, Winnie, where's Kevin? And they did that over and over and she got so tired of it and so frustrated. And so she had this major insecurity and wondered, where do I find joy and value in my life? Because I sure didn't find it in Hollywood. And maybe some of you have that same struggle this morning, you can identify with her, not in terms of the fame, but in terms of the search for joy, it's this search for meaning, this search for identity and value in life. You see, in our world, there's two main places people search for joy. We're told that we need to look within ourselves. That's the first place. 
And in our culture, self is the authority on everything. If you read a Professor Carl Truman's book, I've looked at part of it. It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in this book, he says the idea that we can be whoever we want to be or this thought that we can become whatever we want to become is commonplace thinking today. He's, he calls the inner self the inner psychological life. He said there are people who believe this inner psychological life is sovereign, meaning whatever it says to do, that's what we had better do because that's where joy and our desires will be fulfilled when we do that. Now, you combine that with a consumeristic age that we live in that says the consumer is king. Remember Burger King's former slogan, have it your way, have it your way. And so you, you combine that with this inner psychological life that says, I want to do this, I want to do that, and we think we've got to just give into that because that's where joy is found. Combine that with a consumeristic culture, and that is the recipe for disaster that we're seeing in our world. So you have people that say, my inner psychological life says I'm a man, but I really should become a woman. And so it's, it happens. You have people who have been married for years, and they think, well, my inner psychological life is telling me I need to leave this marriage and go with this person over here. And so it happens. And that's where people are looking to find joy is within. Now, there's also people that look around to find joy. They look around to career, education, athletic achievement popularity, all of these things, and they pour themselves into that thinking, man, if I could just arrive, if I could just get that next promotion, then, man, I will be so fulfilled. And you and I both know it only leads to severe disappointment because there's always somebody better. There's always somebody more athletic, somebody smarter, more popular, more successful, better at their job. There's always somebody better, and it just leads to disappointment. So this morning, I want to talk to you about a third option. Another option to find joy, and we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're in a series on the joy, uh, really the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but today our topic is joy. Last week, Pastor taught us so well on love, and the next fruit that is mentioned in Galatians 5 is joy. And so if you do a search on joy, it's used over 200 times in the Bible, and I began searching through it, and this one here just really stuck out to me. So Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, you're probably familiar with the first part of Nehemiah. Remember, he's a, governor, a governing official for the, the Persian Empire. He lives in Susa. His life is working very well. And he is burdened, though, when he hears about what's happening in Jerusalem. The walls are torn down. People are uh, struggling. And so he is burdened. He sits down. He weeps. He mourns. He fasts. He prays. He does that for days. And then finally, he works up the courage, and God gave him strength and favor, and he approaches King Artaxerxes. He asked for favor to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, and the king gave him favor. And so he goes back, and within 52 days, in spite of opposition, the walls are rebuilt. That's, you see that in Nehemiah 6.15. The interesting thing is he did not leave after that. He didn't say, okay, the wall's done. I, my, my job is done. I'm going back to my comfortable life in Susa because that was not his main purpose. His main purpose was to rebuild the people spiritually. And so that's what you see here the rest of the book. The first six chapters are about rebuilding the wall. The rest of the book is about rebuilding the people spiritually. And so you come here at the end of chapter seven, and it says, and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. The seventh month was October. And it was the fall of the year in an agricultural economy. The crops were in. 
Everything was good. People had a little bit of a break in their schedule. It was a time to worship God and to say, thank you, Lord, for your provision this year, for crops, for strength. And now we're going to prepare for a new year. And so the first day of the seventh month was really New Year's Day, as we would know it. It's the beginning of a new year. The big rainy season was coming soon. I've got more time to spend with my family. And uh, Leviticus 23 tells us all about the seventh month. The Feast of Trumpets was on the first day. The Day of Atonement was on the 10th day. And on the 15th day was the Feast of Trumpets that would last a week, or Feast of Tabernacles that lasted a week. So the, 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 that month was very unique in Israel's calendar. And so I want you to look at verse 1, and there's two particular things that stand out in verse 1. First, the phrase, all the people. If you read down through the first 12 verses, I counted 10 times that it says all the people. All the people, all the people, all the people. They're all, they're all together. Then it says, the second phrase is one man. Now, one man is only used nine times in the whole Old Testament. It's used in Judges 20, uh, verse 1, where it talks about the, all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba gathered as one man to go out and fight the Benjamites. So they gathered as one man to wage war against another tribe. But that, that phrase is rarely used because there's so much division among God's people in the Old Testament. Remember when the spies went to go see the land, the 12 of them? They came back, and they didn't even agree. Ten said it was, had a negative report. Joshua and Caleb had a positive report. Uh, remember um, in um, 1 Kings 12, after Solomon died in 931 B.C., the kingdom of Israel divided. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And for about 500 or so years, almost uh, 580 or 485 years, the people of Israel had been living divided. They had gotten used to division. And it's really no different today. We get used to division. You see it on social media. You see it in churches sometimes, thankfully. Praise God, we haven't seen it here. But Ephesians 4 says Christians should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so a great question for all of us to ask each week is, what am I doing to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace at Valleydale? Because it's easy to find something to critique. Hey, you can find plenty of things to critique about this sermon. You can find things to critique about this service. You can find something to critique about your life group or about other people here, or about they're not parenting the way we would. There's always something to critique. But you know what's harder to do? It's harder to stop and pray. It's harder to say, you know what, instead of critiquing, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for the leadership there. I'm going to pray for, for those people. They're struggling. I'm going to pray for that mom that looks like she's exhausted from taking care of her kids all the time. I'm going to stop and pray and pray God will help them. Maybe, maybe I could encourage them. Maybe we show up at church and say, How, who can I encourage today? Who can I smile at? Who can I hug? Who can I say, man, I'm praying for that test this week. I know it's coming. I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. I know you're having a hard time with your child. That's how you build unity in the church. So we should come with that sense of expectation. Man, I'm going to come encourage and build up Valleydale and help the unity of this church. Notice what unified them. Look at verse 1. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, if you go back to Leviticus 23, it doesn't say anything about reading from the book of the law on the first day of the seventh month. There was no prescription for that. They, they just took the initiative to ask that they, they read the word of God to them. They didn't, Ezra and Nehemiah didn't say, all right, come on out. We got to read the word of God to you. They took the initiative. 
They wanted to hear from the word of God. Now, that may sound a little strange to us, but they didn't all have copies of God's word. God's word was written on a scroll. It was at the temple. They could go to the temple and hear it read. Uh, Some of them couldn't read. Many of them couldn't read. So they didn't have their own copy on their phone or a hard hard copy. They they wanted to hear the word of God. Now, the, the book of the law of Moses, I believe, refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so they gathered there to hear from the word of God. Notice they gathered at the water gate. They didn't gather at the temple. The water gate was a prominent place in the city, public's place. It would be like us gathering at Veterans Park or Hoover City Hall. And we're gathered there to hear from God's word. And here comes Ezra. Ezra had been there about 13 years. He came back in 458 BC with about 5,000 people. You read that in the book of Ezra. And so for 13 years, he'd been there teaching the word of God faithfully. And here he is in 445 BC on October the 2nd, the first day of the seventh month. And here he is reading the word of God. Notice it says that he brought it before the assembly. Notice who's there, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. Understand is used six times in this chapter. It's a big deal. Now, all who could understand refers to children. If you, you find that, if you go to Deuteronomy 31, verse 12, in that verse, the Lord gave instruction for who is supposed to come to a public worship service for Israel. It says, assemble the men, women, and little ones. Children would come and worship there and, and hear from the word of God. Don't underestimate what children can understand. I don't know if you've been, and in, in, there's not as many children in this service. There's more in the second service. But usually the McGuffey sit right over here. I have been in the prayer room with their six-year-old son, Matthew. You should hear him pray. It is unbelievable. Not only does he have good theology, he has a heart for God. Remember, he was baptized, I don't know, a few months ago. But he's six years old. And he will just pour out his heart before the Lord. He sounds like an adult. You never underestimate what a child can understand. And so here, Israel knew that. So they're gathered here to worship the Lord. Now, I've got just a few points for you. Here's the first one. Earthly comforts do not satisfy spiritual hunger. Earthly comforts do not satisfy spiritual hunger. These people had a rebuilt wall. They had a uh, great leadership in Ezra. And Nehemiah, you're going to see other leaders here that are, that are mentioned, 26 people that are mentioned. They had, all of these things were intact. They had the word of God, but they were hungry for more. They had a spiritual hunger in their life. And some of you, if you sense like, man, there's just something more that I'm hungering for, that is a, called a spiritual hunger. It's no amount of success or money or fame, nothing can satisfy that. These people had security now. Their city's no longer in shambles, but they, they didn't say, well, we're just so fulfilled now. No, they wanted more. They thought, man, will you come read the word of God to us? Because we want to grow spiritually. Solomon called, said that God has set eternity in our hearts. There's this, this thirst and hunger for more. Joni Erickson Tata said this, to hunger is to be human, but to hunger for God is to feed on him. Hunger and thirst after his righteousness and feed on him in your heart. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We just sang that. It is he who will fill you to satisfaction. Our next point is found in verses three through eight. Verses three through eight. So in the presence of the men and women and those who are there, uh, Ezra's reading the book of the law. Now they're listening. 
they're, it says they're attentive to, to the book. Now, it says that uh, from early morning until midday. Now, early morning really means from the light. So at, I looked it up. If you look at October the 2nd, later this year, the sunrise is scheduled to rise at 6.42 a.m. Now, on October the 2nd, 445 B.C., let's just, if, if it's the same, 642 B.C., it gets light before that. So around 6.15, maybe 6.30 in the morning, these people gathered, men, women, and children, standing to hear the word of God from 6.15 or 6.30 all the way until noon. For five or six hours, there they are standing, just, man, read the word of God to me. I want, I want more. I, I, I just, I'm not going to be satisfied with anything else. And so they had a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. And it says the ears of all people were to the scroll of instruction. You know, when you can't hear someone, you you know, you turn your ear. And what, what was that? It's like they're just turning their ears because I want to tune in. I want to be dialed into the word of God. I don't want to miss anything that he has to say to me. Ezra read from a wooden platform. It literally means it's a tower of wood. So apparently, while they were building the wall around Jerusalem or repairing it, someone was building this wooden platform. And it was large enough, as we're going to see, there were six people that stood on Ezra's right and seven people that stood on the, on the left. So it was large enough to contain at least uh, 14 or so people. And um, it was there, the platform was there so he could be visible and so that he could be audible. So they could hear from him and they could listen to the word of God. Now, can you imagine standing five or six hours just there listening to the word of God? That's the fall of the year. It's a little bit cooler, but they're there with a hunger for the word of God. Now, a few weeks ago at the end of April, Garth Brooks did his concert at Tiger Stadium in uh, Baton Rouge. Over 102,000 people present. Okay, when he sang Call in Baton Rouge, right before that, he was like, is it time? And they were going crazy. He sang Call in Baton Rouge. It registered as a small earthquake. That's how loud and energetic this crowd was. I watched part of the video. Do you know what I noticed? No one was sitting. I looked. Thousands of people. No one is sitting. There are people with their hands raised, you know, Call in Baton Rouge because they, they love Garth Brooks. Here, here's the point. We delight, we devote energy to what we delight in. So they devoted energy to Garth Brooks because they love some country music. And some of you do too, and that's fine, but they, they devote energy to it. So these people, man, I'll stand for five or six hours and listen to the word of God because they were hungry. They wanted to hear, man, what, does God have a word for us to say? Notice that as, he, as, as Ezra opened the book, the people stood up. It just as a sign of respect, that is a sign of, oh, Lord, we revere you, God. We revere your word. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen. It means so be it. It's the idea of, Lord, I'm submitting to whatever you want to tell me today. It's true. Lord, may that be so in my life. And so as we come to worship, that should, as we have our personal devotions, that should be the attitude of our heart. Lord, may this be so in my life. Lord, help me to live out. May this be true of me, of what I'm reading here. May I have this joy that they had, that, that I get to hear from the word of God. They lifted up their hands. It was a way of saying, God, I want to receive a blessing from you. I, w- I want to receive what you have for me today. They're, they're not there worshiping the Bible. Notice it said they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord. They're worshiping the God of the Bible, the God who 
chosen, has chosen to reveal himself in the Bible. They're bowing their heads with their faces to the ground. That's how slaves would respond to their masters in the ancient world. This idea of submission. So God, I'm here. I'm submitting to you. I want to hear from you. God, I want to be changed by what you're telling me. And then notice it says there's another 13 people in verse 7. These people ministered. They were probably a combination of Levites, lay people, and priests. And they were there to minister to the people. Now, why, why were they there? Well, remember that this generation and their parents and possibly even their grandparents had grown up in Babylon. Remember? They had, this was in 445 B.C., In 605, 597, and 586, they had taken Israelites back to Babylon. Now, the official language of Babylon was not Hebrew. It was Aramaic, and then eventually became the Persian Empire. So many had grown up in Babylon. They didn't know how to speak Hebrew. They didn't know how to read the Bible in in biblical Hebrew, so they couldn't understand it. So Ezra's there reading, and these 13 people, I believe, were going around in the congregation saying, hey, do you need someone to translate that for you? Hey, do you, do you understand what he's saying? Here, let, 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 me, let me explain that to you. That's what they're doing. Maybe Ezra would take a break every now and then, and the, those 13 would go around and say, hey, do you have any questions about what you heard? Is there, is there anything I can help you understand? It says, they helped the people to understand the law, verse 7, while the people remained in their places. It says, verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, now, the word clearly means to, to break up. It means to, to break things down in paragraph by paragraph. So they would take a paragraph of Scripture, and they would say, here, let, let, me, let me show you what this means. And let me show you how this connects to the rest of, 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 of what he was saying. And, and as they heard that, they, 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 were, they were filled with joy because they understood the Word of God. As it says, they gave the sense Uh, One translation says they were imparting insight. They're helping them understand the word of God. And um, the people understood the reading. Now, here's our second point. Spiritual hunger should lead to genuine worship. Spiritual hunger should lead to genuine worship. That's what we see here. We see these people hearing the word of God. They're lifting their hands. They're saying, amen, so be it. May that be true in my life. They're bowing their heads just in submission to God. When we hear the word of God, whether in our devotional time personally or here corporately, it should lead us to worship, genuine worship. Worship is not just in singing, it's in hearing the word of God. It's not just an adoration of giving praise to God, it's an exposition and listening to the word of God. That's worship. Um, Years ago, I worked in the uh, golf course industry and one of the uh, courses I worked at, we were having problems with a, a tee box. You, know, you have a tees, fairways, and greens. And every course, even Augusta National, every course has problem areas. Um, and this particular course, we had this problem with this tee box. And so um, it had plenty of sun. It wasn't a shade issue. But for some reason, you know, the grass was thin. It was splotchy. There were just patches of dirt everywhere. It looked really bad. Um, anybody could tell that walking by. And so we would... Man, we pounded it with fertilizer. We did this. We gave it time. We did everything we knew, and it just still would not respond. And so uh, finally, we should have done this first, but uh, after doing all the other things, we said, maybe we should take a soil test. And so we did a soil test, and it came back, and the results were 4.3. And uh, the optimal soil pH for Bermuda grass is 6.5 to 7. 
So the point is, if the, if the soil is that low, the plant will not receive nutrients. It just, it won't take it in. So you can put whatever you want to put on it. It's not going to receive it. And so we're wasting money and time, and it, the plant is not receiving it. And so when you and I read the Word of God personally, when we hear it taught to us, if it does not lead us to genuine worship, there's nothing wrong with God. The problem is with our hearts. There's something going on in our hearts, whether it's sin, whether it's unbelief, whether Satan has blinded our minds for some reason. There is, there's nothing wrong with God because he hasn't changed. The problem is with our hearts, and we need to say, Lord, search me. That's why David prayed, Lord, search me and know my heart, Psalm 139. See if there be any grievous way in me. God, is there anything that's grieving you that's inside of me? Is there some attitude? Is there pride? Is there lust? Is there something that's grieving you, Lord, that I need to confess because I want to hear from you? I don't want to leave here just, well, I didn't get anything out of that. It just bounced right off my heart. I didn't receive it. And so spiritual hunger should lead us to this genuine worship of the Lord. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, hey, I thought this was a message about joy. Well, it is. It is. It's coming. But they had to be confronted with their sin first. And you and I do too. And so it's coming. Verse verse 9. So the people hear the word of God, they're worshiping, and as they hear the word of God, they begin to weep. They're grieved. They're grieved because they're hearing what God says and they're realizing my life does not match with that. My, my, my life is, is not measure up to what God's standard is. And so verse nine says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. Now, I can't prove this to you, but I believe Ezra was reading from the book of Deuteronomy. And as he read through the book of Deuteronomy, he would have read these verses here. I want you to listen to this. This is Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 18. And it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and, all your soul, and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And as they heard the word of God, they began thinking, they just began to weep. Oh, Lord, I've not done that. I've not loved you with all my heart. I've not loved you with all my soul. I've not loved the sojourner, the alien, like you've told me to. I, I, I've, not, I've not ministered to the widow. I've not executed justice for the fatherless. And they were so overwhelmed with their sin that they began to grieve. They, they were so burdened by it. They probably thought, oh no, our forefathers did this and God sent them to Babylon. Is he gonna do that to us too? 
Have you had that moment in your life, that moment that these people had, where you just grieve over your sin? Where you just think, God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. I've not just done some bad things. I am a sinner. I, I am separated from you. That is the first step for salvation. It's, that's the ABCs, to admit that you and I are sinners because all of us are. That is the first step. Healing cannot come until we admit that we have a problem, that we have a need. But in that moment, that's when Ezra and Nehemiah said, do not mourn or weep, for all the people heard the words of the law. Now, let me ask you a question. Were the people wrong to weep? No, they were not wrong to weep because this signaled repentance. It signaled that they were getting right with God, that they were realizing, oh, no, I can't just depend on all these sacrifices to make me right. I, my heart, God wants my heart, and my heart is rebellious toward him. I have not done what he's commanded me to do. So repentance opened the door for joy, but they were not to stay in a state of mourning. It was good to begin there. They just weren't supposed to stay there. Dr. Swindoll wrote, Nehemiah and his men said in effect, oh no, God didn't leave. You left. You should celebrate today. The marvelous God of heaven still stands with open arms and says, I'm ready to forgive and forget. So they were saying, hey, it's good to weep. Just don't stay there. And let that weeping drive you to repentance. Let that remorse lead to genuine repentance, godly repentance that confesses sin and leads you to trust in Jesus Christ. There were days of affliction. I mean, 10 days later was a day of atonement. The Bible says that's a day of affliction. That's a day where they were there to, the whole day was set about paying for, temporarily paying for sin that ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ. If you look in chapter nine, they were there gathered later in the month and they're there standing, putting soil on their heads, confessing their sin. So there is a time to do that. But he said, not on the first day of the month. This is a day of joy. This is a day of rejoicing. Uh, one writer said, conviction of sin to, should not lead us to a self-centered remorse. It should lead us to confess our sin. If the people fail to rejoice here, they would be disobeying God's word and even more by grieving on a day designed for celebration. Now, in verse 10, it says this. Then he said to them, I believe that's Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Why? For this day is holy to the Lord. Uh, holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The same word that convicts you is a word that will heal you if you will allow it to. Now, the joy of the Lord refers to the goodness of God. And they were saying, hey, it was the goodness of God that brought you back to this land. It was the goodness of God that, that, that led Ezra here 13 years ago and brought some of you with him. It was the goodness of God that led Nehemiah here to rebuild this wall it is the goodness of God that he's letting you hear the word of God. So don't sit there in remorse. Turn to him and worship him and trust in him. And I think in my own life, I think, man, it was the goodness of God that he led me, he let me be born into a godly family with godly parents who taught me the word of God, who took me to church and exposed me to the word of God. It is the goodness of God that he led me to a college my first year 
a man with Cambridge Crusade for Christ, sat across the table for me and said, how do you know God will allow you to get into heaven? And it revealed that I had just a works-based salvation. And a few years, about two, two and a half years later, I got saved. And it was the goodness of God that there was someone there who discipled me and helped me grow. It was the goodness of God where uh, about 20 or so years ago, a, a pastor on staff at the church I was at believed in me and allowed me to teach a Sunday school class. You go on and on and on. See, man, the goodness of God in my life and think, man, why would I turn to anywhere else for joy? Why would I turn to around me or look within me to my sinful, deceitful heart to look for joy? Joy is found in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's, what, that's what he's saying, the joy of the Lord, the goodness of God is your strength. Strength means stronghold or place of safety or refuge. The word is used in Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The, long, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. That word stronghold is the same word here. The Lord is the defense of your life. When you and I seek him and search for him and seek our joy in him, it becomes a place of safety because he won't let us down. He's not gonna disappoint like all those other areas are because we're not gonna measure up. So they were right to have conviction over their sin, but they were wrong to dwell on it and to continue there. Warren Wearsby has always such a great way of putting things. He said, it is as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven us as it is to rejoice when sin has conquered us. Now, I have a dollar bill here, okay? Just a simple dollar bill. Everybody see it? Okay. I had to borrow it from my son, Asa. Oh, the, ch the children have the money. According to I don't, we usually don't carry, I don't carry cash. So here, here's a dollar bill. Now, you, sh you sure you can see it? Now, can you see all of it? You can't see all of it. You can see it, but you can't see it, right? Because there's a whole other side here, right? There's a little pyramid back here. It spells one. You, you know what's on the back. But if I hold it like this, you can't see that. And that's what he's saying with Israel. He's saying, all you're seeing is your sin. All you're seeing, Israel, is your failure. And that's why you're mourning. That's why you're grieved. And maybe some of you are the same way. And all you see is your shame. All you see is your sin. All you see is your, how you've disobeyed God one more time. And you walk around defeated. And you walk around discouraged. And you walk around, oh, I just, I can't, I can't shake this sin, whatever this struggle is. And Nehemiah and them are saying, hey, there's a whole other side. Yes, all this is true. All this is true that we have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no, not, no, no, no one righteous, no, not one. But he's saying, on the other side, God is forgiving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's loving. He will forgive anyone who comes to him in repentance with faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying you're, you're no longer under the power of sin if you're a child of God. If you place your faith in Christ, you're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, lives inside of you and me. So there's victory. Yes, there's struggle, but there's victory. And so don't see the Christian life one-sided. See both-sided. Yes, is this true? Absolutely. Is this true? Absolutely. We are forgiven. We're more than conquerors. So that's how we live the Christian life. We don't live just in defeat. Oh, I've got one more struggle. God is so upset with me. You are declared righteous before God if you are a child of God. 
He sees you as righteous. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering you. And so enjoy that. Rejoice in that. That's why he says the joy of the Lord, the goodness of God is your strength. The, the forgiveness of God, the love of God is your strength. And the more we surrender our lives to him, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and a fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And no matter what happens to us, no matter what health report comes, no matter what relational struggle there is, people who know you well will begin to see this joy and think, how do you respond that way? And you know it's not you and it's not me. We go, it's Jesus. God's just given me joy. It doesn't mean it's, it's still real. It's still a struggle. But God has given me joy in the midst of the struggle. Now, verse 11 says, So the Levites calmed all the people. Be quiet. This day is holy. This is a day of rejoicing. Don't, don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink. Now, to eat the fat, that's like the best part of the meat. All right? So somebody say, amen, amen. I want to eat the fat. Drink, send portions, and to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now, the word understand, Swindoll says this, understanding is the ability to see something beneath the surface. They were able to see beneath the surface that God is holy. Yes, he's just. Yes, I am a sinner. But they were also able to see, you know what? God's forgiven me. God, God loves me. God is for me. I, I, I'm no longer under the, the weight of sin. I don't have to give in to sin every time it tells me to do something. Every time this inner psychological life, which I call the flesh, tells me to do so, I don't have to obey it. I, I can say, no, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit because I'm filled with the Spirit. I don't, have, I don't have to give in to anger every time that thing wants to go off on somebody. I just say, no, 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 I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit. So here's the final point. True joy is found in Jesus Christ. True joy is found in Jesus Christ. One, Tim Keller wrote this. I love this quote in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. The gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we even dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me give you a few application points. First, God's word is central to revival. All of these application points revolve around revival. God's word is central to revival. Israel knew if they're going to move forward, they had to look back. They looked back to the law of God. And so if we're going to move forward, we've got to look back every day to the word of God. God, what is it you're going to say to me? What, what, what is it that I need to hear from you this morning? And other books and things about the Bible are fine, but don't let that take your place, take the place of reading in the word of God, listening to the voice of God. Second, use your gift to help others. There were 13 people here ministering among the crowd, ministering, helping people understand. Some of you, you have the gift of teaching, and, and you, you need to be using that. You need to be just like these people were. They can take something complex and make it really simple. Some of you are really gifted at that, and you need to use that. We need you. Student ministry, children, preschool, adult life groups, we need you. Uh, we need you to use that gift to help others understand the Word of God. Third, revival should lead us to love others well. Nehemiah said, look for other people. Look for those who don't, don't have anything prepared. Look for them and serve them food. 
See, revival is not just about me and my relationship with God. It starts there, but then it overflows to where now, man, I want to serve other people. I, I want to love them. And, and, and we have mission partners, as you know, all over the world. And they would love, I assure you, they would love to have you and your gifts and abilities to come help them reach people for Jesus Christ. Some of you on a short-term trip. Others of you, you might just want to pick up and move there. God may be calling you, but you have uh, ability to love others well. And finally, in revival, we see God's word as applying directly to us. They didn't hear the word of God and think, hey, that's, that's a word for you. They were, they were weeping because they realized it's a word for them. And so if we come in here week in, week in, week out, and think, man, I wish so-and-so was here, but they really need to hear that. It's for us. It's for every one of us so that we come and go, oh, my goodness, I, I need to hear that. God, thank you. I need to repent. I need to, I need to get right with you. It's, 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 it applies directly to us. Well, Danica was frustrated. There she was at UCLA hoping for a fresh start, and she couldn't get away from the whole Winnie Cooper thing. But she uh, decided one day, you know what, I'll take a math class. So she took a math class, and surprisingly to her, she did really, really well. In fact, she took a test that out of 133 people, she scored higher than anyone else did by far. And one day, somebody tapped her on the shoulder, and she thought, oh, great. They're going to tell somebody Winnie Cooper. And, she, and, and the person started, are you the girl that? And she thought, oh, here it comes. And they said, the person said, are you the girl that scored so high on the math test? She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she began to find this new identity. And so she stopped acting for a few years and just focused on school. She wrote a book on math designed to help middle school girls understand math and make it fun. It was a bestseller. She went on to write three other books on math and became well-known in that, in that field. And she began acting again, and she started on the West Wing and NYPD Blue, and she was on Dancing with the Stars, and She's been on the Hallmark Channel, and the Hallmark movies are all the same, you know. That's a whole other thing. But uh, according to I have a theory on that. But I'm over time, so I should keep going. But that, she, she did that. Uh, so she's had a, a marriage. She has a child. And uh, if you looked on the outside, you would say, man, her life's just working really well. But recently, one night, she was struggling with the idea of forgiveness. And she had seen a post on social media by a friend you guys remember Candace Cameron uh, Buer, her, her brother's Kirk Cameron. Uh, she was on Full House years ago. She's a very outspoken Christian, and she had posted a, a scripture verse. So Danica wrote her about that particular verse. Candace sent her a Bible and invited her to church, and Danica went to church with her. And this is what Danica posted, like, just in the last two or three weeks on social media. I went live today to share the journey that I've, embarked, I've recently embarked on. Uh, I'm not here to preach, but I have so much love in my heart, I just had to share what I'm experiencing. I can tell you I'm experiencing a relationship with God and Jesus that I've never had before, and it feels miraculous. I always had this other preconceived notion of what that was when people talked about Jesus and the Lord. I just didn't quite get it. I feel a lot of joy in my heart, and I always like to share that when I can with you guys. See, she learned joy is not found outside of herself in fame. It's not found inside of ourselves. It's found in Jesus Christ. Hey, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Would you stand and we'll, let's pray about that. We want to give you a time to respond. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you 
have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe some of you have never realized you're a sinner, but maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. For you, that's the first step, to admit to God that you are a sinner. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person in here, every person listening, we're all sinners. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sin, because we couldn't do it ourselves. And so all you have to do, my friend, is receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe upon him, and you will be saved, Paul said to the Philippian jailer. So I encourage you, if you've never done that, right now, right where you are, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Others of you, you made that decision years ago, but maybe for you, the issue today is there's something on your, in your heart that you are trying to find joy in. Maybe it's your career, maybe it's your family, maybe it's something that's a good thing, but it's not, a, it's not God. But you're trying to find joy and you're, you're, you're frustrated. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe it's your career. You need to put your career on the altar and say, Lord, I've been, I've been putting too much emphasis on this. I want to come to you. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And I want you to be the center of my life. And then you do with me whatever you want. We're here to help you. We've got invitation counselors. We're here to minister. However God leads you, you respond as the Lord leads you. Father, this is your invitation. We ask you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.